Hello everyone, welcome to the Arsenalics podcast on Sunday night. You haven't got Mize tonight, you've got just me and Aaron and so you've got the best two. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you've also got my baby crying in the background, so apologies, but maybe he's just trying to fill in for Mize. Um, he's already done, like he's already eclipsed him, so. There you go, there you go. Um, Aaron, how's it going my friend? How are you? I am good, thank you, good. Good weekend. Um, watched the game through suspicious means and it was enjoyable we got the win very happy about it looking forward to talking about it with you i think actually before i'm sure you're going to do this but yeah are you going to tell our listeners and viewers your saturday and your plan and how you how you watched the game oh yeah well, I mean, how I watched it in the sense that how I sort of... How uh, you didn't watch it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fine, fine. yeah so <clears throat> for non-UK viewers, probably worth even more context, we're not, <clears throat> we don't have the luxury here of getting all of our games televised, right? Like that is one of the biggest drawbacks of of actually being in the country where the Premier League is, is the ridiculousness that you cannot watch all the games on television. And um, the next, I mean, I think... Uh, Include if you include the Leicester game, Arsenal's next three games, Arsenal's three games in sequence are not on TV, um, which is disgraceful. Um, so Leicester being the first of that sequence, anyway. Um, we have match of the day on a Saturday night in the UK, um, which is on free to air TV, and um, you know, kind of just it's the highlight show for the Premier League. And uh, one thing that some people do, which I haven't done in years and years and years and years, is go dark and watch Match of the Day. Essentially, not follow any of the results of the day. And then just watch Match of the Day at 10.30 p.m. So that's what I did. At 2.45 p.m., I turned off my phone. um, And that was really... That was liberating in itself, by the way. Like, let's get football aside. That was like a really interesting thing i did feel very twitchy at points you know you like, turn your phone off completely completely no way seriously so no messages nothing, nothing. nothing. from anyone i thought it was just us that you might have muted but no no just... no i uh. i couldn't trust it because also no laptop anything because i was worried that i'd get some notification of some sort if i was going on some other website you know i don't know some news flash would come i don't know i just completely whatever so it's cool i got to spend like very quality time with my son not distracted with a you know with a phone or anything like that um so it was cool um so the the funny thing was which i think might be a bit of what you were alluding to as well was that um i uh was was sitting on the couch it was arsenal were probably playing at this point probably about half an hour into the game and then my wife and i were about to start watching tv and she had the baby on her lap babies are kind of falling asleep at this point and she wanted her glasses, but she didn't want to shout over to me. So instead, she she signaled to me that she needed her glasses, and she did the trossard eye glasses, whatever. I don't really know what his celebration is trying to signify, but you know, you know, everyone knows what I mean—the trossard celebration. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh my god, trossard's blatantly in the score!" So when I watch match of the day, dude, and <laughs> trossard smashes one in <clears throat> to open the scoring properly legitimate goal which was you know chalked off i mean you know i thought gemma's got some kind of uh, you know be- psychic power. yeah x x-men levels i was so impressed either that or she was watching the game on the sly whilst you were there's with the, a chance with the baby there, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there, there was that chance um but uh and so when i went match today when i watched match today, i was going crazy um 
but uh yeah so that was really cool it was a good experience because i also just really really shat myself when on so at the beginning of match today they always announce the order of the games and usually the first game is the most exciting game of the day or it's where there's an upset yeah yeah so the first game they announced was leicester arsenal i was like nah man i was like this ain't gonna be good and then i was like well maybe we battered them and then he gets to you know half time and it's nil nil and i was like this is gonna be an upset um but luckily yeah so so when (laughs) so you legitimately celebrated the full-time whistle on a highlight Absolutely, I, I was. I was. I literally was walking around, going, "F and get in, get in there." I poured myself another drink, and I'm sitting there getting ready for the Bournemouth City game <laughs> to cheer on. It's so weird, like, isn't it? But you yeah. know, you think about it, right? <clears throat> what is different, in theory? What is different about celebrating highlights as celebrating watching live on TV? <laughs> uh well usually you know what's happened don't you right okay, that's, okay. That's you know no, no, thing, no. Right? of course yeah. of course of course <laughs> yeah so ignore that bit ignore the fact that you knew what happened my point is i think what you were sort of alluding to is the fact that i was celebrating something which happened hours before yeah so you were like yeah. living it's like you know when you um like have sky plus and you just leave something on pause have you ever done this like sometimes you leave like yeah, yeah, yeah. A, fo- a football I, I, match I on pause i completely and you forgot and then you realize actually you've been watching the whole game like an hour behind everyone else that's like in the whatsapp group <laughs> when you guys are whatsapping i'm like how do you know this has happened already yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just imagine you're watching on a stream but it's really delayed mm. um, that's basically the experience you had but about 10 hours later than everyone else yeah but um, cool. But then we might as well jump in. Like, what did you yeah. think of the the highlights? I mean, it wasn't incredibly extensive because what happened was the first highlight that they showed was a passing sequence, and the first bit of commentary they said is, "Well, for all Arsenal's possession, they have not created anything of real substance." So, uh, you know, when they said that, I was like, "All right, well, I guess we've been dominating the game." From the highlights, I mean, look, the st- I mean, the stats probably say it all, right? Well, I think uh, there were two shots on target across both sides Arsenal had two shots on target Leicester had none so it wasn't I don't think you know the the highlights would suggest it wasn't the most free-flowing beautiful of games but um, uh, at the same time it felt to me like we were in control we got a very legitimate goal called chalked off by VAR um, and yeah, I mean, there, there wasn't that much else of no. I mean, obviously there was the goal. Um, but okay, so I mean, you know, if we're talking about so my general feel, my general feel that it, it felt like, yeah, we were never in danger and, um, you know, probably wasn't our best attacking performance overall. But, um, you know, we got a, got we got the win. I mean, what what was it in more detail? You know, you who, who watched the game through, you know, suspicious methods. Um, <laughs> you know, what did you make of it, mate? So, yeah, it's one of those where, Obviously, you look back and you see the stats and I think Leicester's expected goals was something like 0.01 or something ridiculously low, right? Mad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, did, it didn't feel like that in the final 10 minutes because look, we played, I thought we played really well like overall, <laughs> right? Especially we had uh, a bit of a different attacking front three with Trossard, Martinelli and Saka. 
And of I course, and that, was, that was a big talking point, right? Before the game, yeah. massive talking we talk point. About that before we Let's talk about that, because I, mean, I bet you're delighted to talk about that, because this is what you've been clamoring for. I've been, I've been advocating this for this for a long time, because um, as much as I want Eddie Nketiah to succeed, I don't think he has been for a long time. And is it a long time? So you mean you're excluding the period where you know Hayes got injured, he came in and he was actually scoring. Fine, 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 fine. Yeah. yeah, okay. That's since for the last five or six games. Since Man United. Yes, whenever that was. It feels like a very long time ago. It now, does feel but, a long time ago, but I don't think it was um, that much. But yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, since then, and you know, I've never been Eddie's biggest fan, but I just felt actually beyond the chances that he was missing, because everyone was getting on his back about the chances that he was missing. That never really bothered me that much. Um, it was more just what he was doing, his all-round play, when he wasn't missing chances, um, I thought was actually pretty poor. There were moments in games where, you know, he did a few decent things. And I'm not saying he's a rubbish player or anything, but I just felt his all-round play wasn't really helping us that much and that that's changed a bit because actually against Man United his all-round play was brilliant I thought he was doing Gabriel Jesus type things but then for whatever reason that in the last three or four games or whatever it's been I just think he's really struggled to get on the ball help you know dictate our attack and I'm not expecting him to be Jesus but you know if you're not doing that then I think you really do have to be an elite finisher who takes whatever he gets right and mm. he hasn't been doing that either so so yeah i was i was really excited to see trossard come in because again my my other frustration was that not only were was eddie and ketia not really making it work but he was getting 90 minutes and we weren't really doing anything else um but you could see the argument with that right it's like if he's well, already yeah. on the pitch and then if you need a goal you're probably not going to take your strike no and that's fair but I think, and that, and the fact that there isn't really anyone else, right? And I think mm. Arteta really was quite scared to mix it up and change things. He, you know, the only thing he did was, you know, Vieira for Xhaka, Martinelli for Trossard, or vice versa. And, and that was it. So I was really, really happy to see him go with that front three that we did yesterday because there was, you know, there was talk Eddie had a knock, and it's going to be really interesting to see what we do midweek because I think that front three worked really well. And we, when we were on the ball, we were moving it around really, really well. And actually that first half, I think the only thing that stopped us from like creating three or four or five really good scoring chances was just sloppy final balls or like last ditch, um, last ditch defending. So, so yeah, really, really happy with that front three. Just just to, to put you back on something you just said before then. So, I suppose one of the benefits of having a false nine and doing that is that you probably are going to have more of the ball, right? You're basically just taking yeah. another player, and yeah. So it's quite understandable that you, you, you know it would look quite good in that respect. Um, but did you feel that? Because obviously, one of the big criticisms of the false nine is you don't actually have a proper striker on the pitch, and it, you know it worked for Man City for a couple of seasons because they've just got all kinds of ridiculous talent. What did you feel about us in that perspective? So, yes, we we looked like it was quite good on the ball. We probably felt like we had an extra man. It looked quite sexy, etc. Did it really feel like we lacked that central presence up front? It's it's hard to say because we never... You know, there was a lot of movement, right? Especially on that left-hand side with Trossard and Martinelli. 
there was a lot of movement. There was a lot of like interchange. And I actually thought Martinelli got in some really good positions, but just lacked that final ball where actually Trossard was in the box or Erdegaard had gone into the box or Saka had gone in at the far post and we just couldn't connect. So I don't think it felt like we were missing a striker because actually I think, you know, a lot of the time, not to double down on this, but a lot of the time when we've been playing with Eddie, it did feel like we were missing a presence in the box. So when we play, you say when we're playing with Eddie, in your opinion, it felt like it, we were missing someone in the box. It felt like with Eddie, it just felt like unless he was given a really good chance or there was a, like a little bit of a scrap in the box and he got at the end of it, I felt like, you know, I think Eddie's never going to make a defender's life difficult, in my opinion. Like if you're if you're a top centre-back, you're not worried about Eddie and Ketia like giving you hassle, right? Is like hassling. Yeah. Right? He yeah, might score. Yeah, he, yeah, he could yeah, score and he has yeah. scored, right? He scored against good defences. But you're not, he doesn't make your life difficult, I don't think. But actually, I think our movement made the Leicester defence worry. And we, I think, gradually wore them down. And the chance, you know, the quality of chances, although they didn't come you know, until quite late on in the first half. And then again, in the second half, I felt that like, I felt that that Leicester defense looked troubled the whole game. And it was just down to our lack of real, like cutting edge. The fact that we couldn't find that final ball. And otherwise, you know, if this, I just felt like if this clicks, it is going to click and we could really, really kind of completely batter a team. Okay, so you did feel that despite it being like a false line system, it was a case where if we had got the final ball, it did seem like from a numbers perspective, there are enough people in the box to put these things away. Obviously, that's the that's the criticism of the false nine, isn't it? You've got no one who's naturally playing that <clears throat> central, you know, normal nine role of being yeah, in the yeah. box, being able to get on the end of things, which is like, you know, what you're talking about, Eddie. You're saying that, you know, and rightfully, I agree with you, Eddie is that guy. He, he He's a sort of striker that he's going to be a box striker, but in the kind of anticipating and, you know, we'll try and get on the end of things. He's not, like you say, the striker who a defender is going to be like, oh my God, I'm going to have this guy dribbling at me and it's going to be really annoying and I'm going to have to like, you know, concede a penalty or something. Do you know what I mean? He's not that guy. Yeah. He, he's not that sort of striker. So I, so I totally agree with you. But, you know, it's interesting that you say that despite then us taking him out of the team and therefore gaining something in the build-up, you still didn't actually feel that we lacked in terms of numbers in the box. And I think that's probably quite a key... I probably, I think Arteta will probably walk away and think that the experiment was probably a successful one in that respect, right? Yeah, it'd be really interesting to hear what, why he did it. Was it because of this rumored Eddie knock, and he was like, "Look, we have no other choice here but to play this," or was it a deliberate tactical decision, or was it actually because he felt that Eddie has been lacking in the last two or three games? Um, probably a combination of all three, if you believe the rumors that he was carrying a knock. And that's why it's going to be very interesting to see what we do in these next two games. I suppose one of the re- things could be that one of Arteta's strengths and Arteta's Arsenal strengths, what it seems like, is that they have the ability to change very small things about what they do in-game. So it mm. seems like they've got a brilliant understanding. Arteta can just you know do some kind of crazy code and all of a sudden something very subtle changes. It can be the 
direction at which people press. It can be the pace at which they press. So it can be that something that minute. It might be something a bit more structural, but they're brilliant at doing that. And I wonder whether this is just another thing where Arteta said, you know, this is another sort of system that I want to be able to try to see that sometimes in game, maybe I'll need to move to something more like this because he's up against, and we'll talk about this in a bit, we're going to come up against Everton shortly, right? And then we're going to come up against Bournemouth afterwards. These two teams aren't going to come to the Emirates and play expansive football. They're not going to sit there and go, let's go toe-to-toe with Arsenal. They'll lose every day of the week. Hmm. You know, Everton will probably do even more of a disciplined, less adventurous approach than they did when we went to Goodison Park. Bournemouth will likely watch what Everton do and see what works and copy it, if you like, because it's such such a close period of time. Um, that I wonder if Arteta is thinking, well, what didn't I do? You know, I didn't have this false nine approach maybe up my sleeve when I played them last time. Maybe this is what I need to drag these very kind of deep defences out. Maybe. You know, I think maybe that's a possibility. Because you're right, he doesn't really have another option until Jesus comes back, right? It's either, you double that. So he's, he's either got to go, right, well, I've got Eddie and I have to make that work. And even when he's out of form, I've got to play him in form and that's all I can really do. Because clearly he doesn't want to move Martinelli just into, as a central striker because he feels like that would be us sacrificing something that's been working quite well this season with Martinelli mm. on the left. So I kind of get it from his perspective. But you know what? Like, I was surprised that he did this against Leicester. Um, I know you'd been calling for it. And now I'm happy that he did it in the end. And I'm happy that, you know, we won a game because if we didn't win and he had done that, I think a lot of people would have criticized him. Yeah, but he did do it and and we won. So I think that's probably something that we've got up our sleeve now. I would be intrigued to see if he does it against Everton. But um, just, just I guess, reading back to the game, what else did you make of the game then? Like, so this is another start for Jorginho Partey is probably coming up to full fitness now, given that he was on the bench. So he was clearly kind of, you know, and I think he came on, did he come he came on? on? He came on the last 10 minutes. I think he played, I don't know where he played in the last 10 minutes, but there was one point, I don't know if they showed this on Match of the Day, where we had a break on <laughs> and the ball basically like broke to Partey on the right wing and it was him like just running up, <laughs> running up the right wing. And um, he, I think he tried to cross it in and it got, it, was, it looked like a decent cross, but it, it got blocked by a Leicester defender, but yeah. So I don't know where Thomas Partey was playing, but he um, he he looked. I mean, there was a point actually when I was like, "Hang on a sec, Thomas Partey's running." <laughs> like, <laughs> Is he going to pull something? Don't get injured here. But um, no, he, he looked he looked fit enough, but for at least ten minutes. Um, what do you think, no, Jorginho? Though, what, what, what do you think I I thought he played really well again. Um, I thought against Villa, he was really good. But the one thing he does do is maybe leave, sometimes leaves your defence slightly exposed. And I think he did that against Villa. He probably did that a bit um, against Leicester as well, where actually I thought what what you need when you play Jorginho is either, you know, I think we've discussed this before, you either need like a, a really good defensive midfielder next to him or you kind of just need really good centre-backs. And I thought Gabriel and Saliba were really like, excellent um, all game because there were times where, you know, Leicester would just go long or, you know, Jorginho was pressing up because he was trying to help the attack and they'd bypass him quite easily. Sometimes his fault because of lack of his pace, but sometimes just because he was so far advanced. And just Saliba and Gabriel just 
you know, mopped up every single time. You know, like Leicester, like just couldn't do anything with that space behind him. And that was because of the two centre backs. But the good thing is then what that does gives you give you is Jorginho just really like dictating the pace of the game and I thought him and Zinchenko actually looked combined really well um again Zinchenko was doing that thing where he's kind of everywhere and he hasn't been doing that so well over the last few games but I thought yesterday Zinchenko was you know a bit more everywhere and I think a lot of that was because Jorginho would just find him all the time and then they just build up play together and then he'd move it out left he'd move it out right I thought it was very good. It's just so refreshing that, look, it's very hard to, you know, Thomas Partey is like almost a complete all-round midfielder, right? Like really good defensively, but can also build up play. Brilliant passer. Yeah, you know, he can, he can do everything. Physical, dominating everything, yeah. And it's, you you can't have a number two to him that can do everything, right? Because if he, yeah, if be he a, was, a, he'd be, yeah, he'd be at yeah, Real Madrid yeah. or like playing so anywhere, right? So, the fact that we can bring someone like him on and actually not have to rush Partey back. Cause I reckon if that was Lekonga, we would have played Thomas Partey today and he might've got injured again, or he might've pushed himself. But the fact that we can just say, come on, play 10 minutes, help us see the game out is a huge credit to Jorginho and just the club for actually getting someone in of his caliber when the plan A with Caicedo, which we've you know we've forgotten all about now, um, yeah, you out. you were really upset about it. I, I was annoyed. I was annoyed with <laughs> anyway. We won't go back there. <laughs> but um, I was very I was I was pleased we got Jorginho in, and it's it's working out well. We should really make that point, right? Because you see, Arsenal had a had a tricky patch of results. Like we were always going to, we we're always going to have a tricky patch of results. Uh, and we've just bounced back with two back-to-back away wins. And you can say that Leicester are terrible. Leicester are pretty bad. But the fact is, y- you're also, as the season goes along, playing context. I've said this many times in the past. We're now playing a context where Leicester probably now have just realised they're in a relegation battle. And we've also realised that if we're sus- going to sustain a title race, we we really need to start kind of putting another big run together. So there's lots of context there. And um, and we've done it. And I think the, the thing I wanted to point out is two of the most important players in these last two games have been those two signings in January. Yeah. yeah. And so you have to credit, you've got to credit the, you know, the, 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 the technical director you've got to credit credit Arte. you've got to you've got to credit them all because you know they, they pointed it out many many of these pundits have pointed out already but arsenal clearly had other targets mudrick saicedo they didn't get them and they got these two and you, you know it's been fantastic bounce back ability in that respect in the market to get two guys who've been able to contribute this much this quickly when you compare them maybe to I know Mudrick, look, I don't want to sound like it's sour grapes. We obviously wanted Mudrick. I still think from what I've seen of him at Chelsea, I know it probably doesn't seem to have settled just yet. It's only been a month. Um, but I think there's ingredients there. He clearly might be a top talent. But I doubt he would have been able to contribute this quickly, right, to us either, right? So um, it's been amazing how it's worked out i think so far and you know again just i guess credit to the coaching staff and 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 the guys who've decided to sign these two players um 
and and you know for you mate in in terms of uh how we set up going forward with Partey coming back is there a world for you that Jorginho and Partey can play in the same team maybe not this right wing idea that you said you saw briefly um, but <laughs> is there an, is there a realistic plan that you can see for them to play together uh I don't think so if I'm being honest I think like as good as Jorginho's done Thomas Partey is better right and I think that's like very simple then the question is where do you put Jorginho do you take out Xhaka and Xhaka hasn't been playing well but I don't know if Jorginho could do what we kind of need Xhaka to do um which is still like quite a lot of running quite you know on the ball he he probably could do that but I don't know I think it'll be an experiment I'm not sure he will do that because I think Arteta just really likes Granite Xhaka and I think he trusts him completely although to be fair I think he really does trust Jorginho right we, he's spoken mm-hmm. highly about him Love fast mm-hmm. and he loves Jorginho so maybe he he sees the role there for him but I think look Granit Xhaka hasn't been playing that well in the last few games again but I thought he was actually pretty decent yesterday but Arteta continues to play him and he's got options there right he's got Vieira we could even play Zinchenko there but he's stuck with Granit Xhaka yeah. so I think you know like you said maybe there are some tactical nuances against a a bigger, you know, if we're playing in, you know, away at the Etihad, for example, could we play maybe two deeper midfielders and then play Odegaard up front? But I think our system is quite well defined now. That mm-hmm. I don't think he will. Well, I said it was quite well defined, but then we go and play a false nine yesterday. So yeah, well, yeah, yeah. what do I know? Um, so yeah, I can't see it happening, and I actually think there's no real need to, right? Like we signed Jorginho as a backup and to play and essentially take minutes off Thomas Partey. Yeah. Because Thomas Partey has a quite a concerning ability to stay fit, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, we've got the Europa League coming up. We've got a few games where hopefully we can you know, build up a lead and we're not just hanging on to a 1-0. You know, if we're 2-3-0 up, in any of the games coming up, just take off Thomas Partey, give him a rest and just play Jorginho and we'll still play well. And that's that's good, right? We've got a few of these players now who can do that, right? Players like Smith-Rowe, Vieira, uh, Jorginho, Tierney, they're all players that can take minutes off first-team players so they don't get injured because we're going to need them later on. Totally agree. Um, so I think your point is spot on about the fact that we've got lots of games coming up, right? So at the end of the day, we don't need to think about necessarily, ah, maybe we should be playing Jorginho and Partey together or anything, anything like that. They're going to get plenty of games, both of them. Um, You talked about Xhaka and the, you know, the faith that, uh, that Arteta has in, in some of the players like him. Vieira is an interesting one because Arteta is, you know, I know, I think the week before last, Arteta talked about the fact that changes are going to come. He sort of mentioned that. He said words to the effect of, you know, I'm going to have to start giving people um, who deserve it some minutes. Um, And just before this game, I think it was before, maybe even just after this game, he singled out Vieira. I don't know if you saw his comments, but he basically basically just said that Fabio Vieira is now making it extremely difficult for him. 
Um, he gets, he's oh, basically adapted. I didn't, I didn't see that. Yeah, he singled him out. He basically said he's got to that level now where he understands the league and he understands what's needed from him. And he's giving me a real, real selection problem. And I mean, I was intrigued by that because for, for many reasons. One, well, what does that mean? Does he think that he's, does he, is he looking at Vieira and thinking, mm, maybe I'll start you over Odegaard? Don't know if he'd, he'd do that. Or is he thinking about Xhaka? Because, you know, that's where he's come on as a sub more recently. Um, and I suppose in many ways, in the same way that we're thinking Partey and, and Jorginho can sort of help each other out workload, I wonder whether we will start seeing Vieira in that Xhaka role um, helping that workload because you've got ESR who's you know now fit who who could take workload off um, Odegaard or, or, or you know one of the wingers as well. So I wonder if we do see more about Vieira in that in that um, eight. I mean, what do you think? Would you welcome that? Because I know you you've said in the past, you know, previous to the last maybe couple of games that you haven't really seen it from Vieira um, yet. You don't really know what he's you know capable of and and you know whether we can be relying on him. What what, what do you think? Yeah, I'd be interested to see. I mean, it's very encouraging if Arteta thinks that because I'll openly admit, except for glimpses, Vieira, you know, he, he's a moments player, right? So he'll play, he'll kind of drift in and out of the game. Then he'll just do something crazy. Like, I think in a City Cup game, he kind of, was it, did he set up a goal or did he like come in with a really some really good moments there? Um, or in another Cup game, that was uh, when we played, um, Oxford, who was it, in Oxford. He had a good cross okay. to El Nenny and then he scored. But I suppose recently yeah. against Villa, he got the assist for the third and fourth. Yeah, goal. yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's, he's shown moments. Mm. My concern is more, can he do that consistently for, if not 90 minutes, for 70 minutes when he's on the pitch and he's starting? But hopefully, if Arteta thinks he can, it's encouraging. I just haven't seen it, but... Look, we paid like thirty million pounds for this guy. So, uh, which which I'm now kind of which hoping, now feels like yeah. in the now in the new context of the market is nothing, yeah. is it? Yeah, yeah that's but, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. bargain now. But yeah. for us, that was a, a sizable outlet. Like he was one of our yeah. big signings of the summer. Yeah. He was. Um. So we obviously had a plan for him. I remember. I think it was Edu saying, "Yeah, you know, Vieira can do things." that no other player in the squad yeah, can do. And he yeah. brings like very unique qualities to the squad. So yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued to what those unique qualities are. Cause I haven't, you know, he, he just hasn't really kind of caught the headlines just yet. Yeah. Um, which is okay because we've got the squad to like mitigate that um, for now. And that's okay. But at some point we'll need him and he's going to have to step up and I hope he can. Uh, agreed. Um, <clears throat> just a couple more, th- you know, th- things on the game itself. So we did only win one nil. The goal was scored by Martinelli. It was a nice link up between Trossard and, and Marseille. It's nice to see Martinelli get a goal, right? Obviously, he got the goal against Villa at the end of the game. Um, so it is two and two for Martinelli. But um, obviously, the goal against Villa, <clears throat> you know, that was a bit of a random goal right like it's yeah. you know he's like it's probably the easiest goal he'll score of his, in his career um but but this was nice wasn't it because i think there had been a feeling over the last um couple of months that 
know, Martinelli, who probably started off this season, as you could probably say, arguably like our most potent attacking threat, um, then sort of tailed off. Luckily, Saka kind of stepped up. But Martinelli had been struggling a little bit and people have been saying, is it because he's you know playing with Eddie and they don't really work so well together? Um, it's nice to see him score a more organic goal, right? Um, and slightly concerning at the time when he scored it, when he went down injured. Uh, what did you think about his performance and, and what did you think about that goal? Yeah, I thought... I thought he was good. I thought I've always felt the criticism of Martinelli has been quite harsh over the last few games, just because again, I do think Jesus just brought so much to his game and with Eddie, it, I just didn't think it worked. And yes, Martinelli wasn't, you know, having the game of his life, like wasn't having top games in the last few, but he was still running at defenders. He was still making defenders lives of misery. And his game is just that where, Look, he's just going to keep running, some, and more often than not, he will probably fail to beat the defender because he's just constantly having a go at them. But eventually, the idea is that he'll get it, he'll beat them, and then he'll be in behind, and he can usually just cross it or have a go at the far at the near post. Um, but no, I thought again, actually, in that first half, he got the ball a lot, and it was a lot of a lot of that actually, like him trying to beat a defender and maybe failing, or he there was one point where he beat the man, but then just the final ball was awful and but he's always on that that line where you know he's if he if he does the thing that he does he's probably going to score he just sometimes doesn't or get an assist but he just can't he just wasn't working out for him in that first half and then and then yeah like really good play with Trossard and he just found himself in a little bit of space and I thought the finish was excellent so fair play to him yeah, agree. And I hope he continues that form. Um, speaking of form, like we haven't really kept clean sheets <laughs> um, for a while. Uh, but we did today. Did Sorry, we did yesterday rather. And um, just a, a shout out, I guess, to our centre-backs. Because you see, one thing I was thinking about is Arsenal may not finish the season with the most clean sheets. We may not um, finish the season with the lowest goals conceded but we may be pretty high up there. And the team that's probably likely to beat us in terms of kind of goals conceded is Newcastle, who play an incredibly stoic style of football, right? Where they are pretty defensive, actually, um, overall. And they come to teams that are, you know, better than them and they were, are incredibly disciplined. It was incredible what they did when they came to the Emirates, right? Um so you have a team like that who may end up amassing kind of the you know the best kind of uh, the be- the best defensive record. So I think that it's pretty damn impressive to be a centre back at Arsenal and be performing um, to the level which keeps us down in terms of keeps us um, keeps our goals conceded down. Given the demands are just way higher, our centre backs are required to do so many more things in a game than a Newcastle centre back is required. You know they are they are starting play. They are trying to calculate various angles at which to transition the team through. They are, you know, it's 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 at a pace. They're recycling. They are playing high up. They are, you know, it's really really kind of complicated things. It's a bit like when Pep Guardiola talked about John Stones many years ago, and people were criticizing John Stones, and Pep sort of said, "You don't realize how hard it is to play centre back for me." And it's very similar when you're playing, you know, this is, this is pet mark too, really, isn't it? So the demands on our centre-backs are huge. We should really shout them out, right? I think, because even though Saliba was getting a lot of praise because of the fact that he's young and, you know, just this exceptional talent, 
Gabriel has played so many games consecutively for Arsenal. And yeah, he has some shaky moments every now and again, but overall he's been a bit of a colossal, hasn't he, mate? Yeah, I love I love Gabriel. Um, I think Saliba has the uh, the fan base, but Gabriel is like just that guy who's been there, like just staying like his ability to stay fit in especially for Arsenal is uh, is a like a, a huge quality in itself. And the fact that he's pretty much played what two seasons consistently without missing a game or something crazy, mm. um, and he's always there. He's he consistently just does all the dirty work and just makes it look very, very simple and very easy. And um, him and Saliba have now got a partnership where they, they've, they've really figured out like who goes forward, who goes back, who gets close, who mops up. And they interchanged quite a bit that role, I thought, against Leicester. Again, because of how high Jorginho was playing at times, he did leave those two exposed. And I think that was deliberate because I think the manager just trusts them. And he says, look, here's that space. You are going to cover basically the entirety of the, the Arsenal half and um, between those two and Ramsdale. And they did it really, really well. Um, but yeah, Gabriel consistently been good for some reason, just doesn't get the praise that other center backs tend to do in this league. Um, like Saliba does get praise because he's, and again, what he's done has been incredible, right? Coming into this league, brand new, so young, and just basically bossed it from day one, which again, is super impressive. But what Gabriel has done consistently um, to be our, probably our best defender over the last two, three years. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think he gets anywhere near enough credit. If, if Arsenal end up winning the league, you've got to say there's a, big, big chance that Gabriel gets in the team of the year and, you know, even is up for any kind of best CB awards. I mean, I think it's, you, it's that yeah, level. I think with Arsenal fans, yes, but I can honestly see a situation where, you know, they'll do the Monday Night Football team of the year and they'll, yeah, they'll just not put Gabriel in it. Oh, Saliba will get in there. Yeah, I agree. I because he's point. young and because he, he's got the headlines. But I think Gabriel has been consistently better than Saliba all yeah, season. Agree with like Saliba's got his moments. He's got his style. Saliba's one for the highlights, right? He's like a Rolls Royce said yeah, half. Is exactly. Just you put you watch a YouTube video plays, isn't he? Yeah. of Saliba, it'd be great. But you know, Gabriel is the one that I think if I think if Arteta had to pick, he'd pick Gabriel out of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Okay, so the, the win was massively important, right? Because obviously, City did go on and win. Well, they expected to beat Bournemouth in it, but I watched the highlights and actually Bournemouth. But they had their chances. They they they, they seemed okay. I mean, City still seem to have that capacity to be a little bit exposed. Um, but you know, we are looking at that league table now. You know, the two wins have been really, really helpful. We are played 24, 57 points. City played 25 with 55 points. So there's a two-point gap that we've got with a game in hand. Man United, we've played the same amount of games now, but we have an eight-point lead, which still feels really nice. Eight-point lead still feels really, really good. Um now, the next games for everyone is Arsenal have got Everton at home on Wednesday, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Man City have got Newcastle at home. Um, I suppose interesting, but not a bad time to play Newcastle. And uh, Man United are going away to Liverpool. Um, so it is it is interesting, isn't it? I mean, let's 
let's look forward. I want to, before we properly go on to look forward, I want to answer a question that Myers has put up for us. Um, so Saka's played 66 consecutive Premier League games. And Myers is asking, given the next two games at Everton and Bournemouth at home, is now the time to give him a rest rather than risk pushing him too far? What do you think, mate? That's an incredible stat. 66 consecutive Premier League games. That sounds crazy. Isn't it? Uh, I assume he hasn't started all of those. Maybe he mm. must have like come off the bench or something. But that's... Uh, that is... Yeah, I mean... Would... I, I wouldn't bench him. I think these games are... This is it now, right? Like, we've got 14 games. Just play Saka in those 14 games. Um, and just roll with it right i think the the thing is like what we really want is to be able to take him off because we don't need him for 90 minutes and give him yep. 20 minutes rest at the end of a game rather than you know being carrying a, a nil nil or going to a, a one nil throughout the game and needing him on for all 90 minutes uh yeah i think the, the europa league is the one where i'd say just rest him got sporting lisbon Honestly, I wouldn't care if he didn't play either a minute of either of those games. Yeah, um, I agree with you. If look, I don't think we should. I'd still be upset if we went out, but if we went out and it was because we didn't play Saka, I wouldn't be upset because it ultimately means we're saving him for something much, much bigger, and this is much, much bigger. Let's let's not mess about. Yeah. Uh- I completely agree. I'd also probably say, um, yes, okay, sixty-six consecutive PL games is is crazy. But if you if you look at where we are right now, he is arguably our best attacking player right now in terms of form. Even though he didn't score in the last game, you'd say that you know he has been relatively consistently recently stepping up, and he is probably gone to another level this season. Um, and then you know if you look at it in that kind of way. Look how important Rashford is to Man United. He's playing loads of games. There is no chance that Man United rest Rashford in a Premier League game. Like, there's no chance, right? Like, he's just he's just so important to them. And I know, again, output-wise, Saka isn't as important as Rashford, but I think in a similar way, that you don't rest it in a title race. Just you don't you don't do it. Um, yeah, I so think I, our I think our sorry, I was a mute. Uh, I think our. Uh... Our sports science has been quite good mm. this season. You mean about getting, you know when someone's in the red zone and all that stuff? Yeah, I don't know how. I read that somewhere that apparently this red zone stuff is actually not used. Or something like that. Oh but, really? Okay. Yeah, apparently this red zone thing is a bit of a a myth in that. Uh, well, I think it exists, but I think most players aren't in it or something like that that often. Um, but generally. I read that actually what's quite beneficial for these elite athletes is the fact that they actually need to play regularly to to a certain extent, right? And actually, if you don't give them that intensity of a Premier League game or a game of football every week, then actually that's worse for them than uh, just not playing at all. Um, But I think like what we've seen a lot of this season is more very deliberately play you know, you've seen it i think earlier on where like players just came off after 60 minutes on the dot because it was like this player can play 60 minutes and then you have to rest him or players coming on 
because they need to play 20 minutes exactly or like and yeah they can't play a minute more and we've been quite deliberate in some of those 60th and 70th minute subs um so i do trust the the sports science people at the club to just manage him through this period where they say look he's got 90 possibly 90 minutes here 90 minutes on saturday we'll have a rest next midweek if he needs it but actually if the science says that he can just play week in week out between now and the end of the season that's fine i think we especially as arsenal fans we're so worried about injuries right because we've seen them completely decimate our season in the past we sometimes worry that we need to just rest players here rest players there but actually Sometimes I think when players are playing well, they just play until someone sensible says no. I agree. I mean, what, what do you do, right? Like, we probably just have to roll the dice because it's not... If You could probably argue that if Jesus didn't get the injury that he had and, you know, Jesus has basically been wiped out for half of the season, right? If that, was, if that wasn't the case, then maybe you can start kind of being a little bit more strategic. But I don't think you can. Like, I think you've just got to kind of say, yeah, do you know what? There is a risk. There's a risk that he gets injured at some point during the next you know, run of 14 games that we've got left, like you rightly pointed out, which actually sounds really small when you think about it, actually, um, in some ways. But um, we've got to, we just can't, we can't think about managing players' fitnesses in that respect. Like winning at Everton is got to be the priority and then winning at Bournemouth has got to be the priority. We've seen it people are going to drop points people are going to drop points against teams that you don't expect them to and you know we could very easily drop points to bournemouth or everton and actually probably go and beat city that could yeah. happen yeah right um so you know i think we've just got to take it one well, i hope it doesn't time. well i hope I hope we don't drop points to Bournemouth and Everton, but we shouldn't, right? Like, I mean, what do you think? Let's talk about Everton. Let's talk about them together. I guess, um, you know, right, right, two two away wins on the bounce, beautiful. Um, you know, arguably, the two teams that we've just beaten away are better than the two teams we're about to play at home. Arguably, um, I think, yeah, it's a very, yeah, it's not a very deep argument. I think it's pretty well. Clear, I mean, right? only just because yeah. Leicester have been pretty trash right yeah. at the moment, but uh, like, uh, yeah, take your point. Um. But what, it's obviously never that easy, is it? When, and so, do you, Everton, let's look to Everton. Do you think that the fact that they beat us recently is going to have any bearing on this game? No. Um, I think you, with it, I honestly, I think that game where we lost was purely just that 90 minutes of new manager bounce and them they they scored with their only chance and was it it was one nil right i'm, I'm making that yeah it was, it was one nil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they scored with their only chance and we just for whatever reason couldn't make it work and we had an off day like everything that could go wrong and could go against us pretty much went against us in that game i think since then everton have been pretty rubbish like against liverpool they were rubbish i watched briefly some of the highlights of them against Villa. And again, they looked pretty poor. Hmm. Um, and I think we should, we should hopefully beat them pretty comfortably. Um, like it'll be tricky, right? Because they'll do exactly what they did against us 
at Goodison, which is double up, sit deep, try and get something from a set piece or on the break, or just hope for a mistake from our defense or something like that. But actually what will happen, hopefully, is that we're just too much for them, especially at home. It'll be a Wednesday night game under the lights. I'm hoping it'll be pretty straightforward for us. Optimistic. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean everything you've said logically makes sense. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um I think that my worry a little bit is probably that if they play a very disciplined low block, then we just have the same challenge that we do every time we play someone who 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 who, who does that. And I I think you're right in the sense that when we played them at their park, it was very, very much a new manager bounce field. Totally agree with that. I think coming to the Emirates is a different ball game um, with the atmosphere at the Emirates evening game under the lights. Like it'll be, yeah, it's not the same. Um, I think Arteta will be very good in his pre-match team talk to just say, you got to go get revenge on these guys. Like, you know, and he will fire them up properly. I think for that, um, I think, again, I think the one, one concern I have is that if we are playing a team that's going to low block it, you probably aren't, again, going to get that many chances. You're probably not going to get them, and, and we sort of have to put them away. Um, I'll be very interested to see, very interested to see, if we do this formation again. Um, because I, on the face of it, I sort of think, well, we'll be at home, maybe Eddie will start. But I don't know, maybe he tried out this formation as something that he thinks could work in these games that are coming up as well. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, again, it depends. We never, we don't really know why Eddie didn't play. Right, fair he, enough. Did, he didn't let's say, ass, right? Let's but. assume it's not injury related because he did bring him on right at the end, didn't he? He did. He did. You're right. Um, yeah, I, I think he will go for the same formation. I think he, I think it gave us control. And I, I like the idea of Eddie off the bench as well. Um, if we need to. Eddie doesn't like the idea of Eddie off the bench. No, no, of course not. Um, no player does, but I think he is, I think that that's just his, that's just his vibe. A bit like Smith Rowe. Like Smith Rowe is that off the bench kind of guy as well. Um, yeah, like you know, everyone goes back to Solskjaer and, you know, Will Tord and those guys. Sometimes I think players are just have that off the bench vibe. I get what you mean about Eddie. I actually do. I think that's fair enough. Like, I think it is that because he's the guy that if you're playing one striker, it feels like then you go four four two and add the extra striker on, and he's that guy. It feels like yeah. that he's got that vibe to him. Um, a guy who's not to segue too much, but a guy I think who's got real off the bench vibes is Pepe. Like, oh uh, yeah, because you know he's yeah. that kind of. You have no. He has no idea what he's going to do. So <laughs> you opposition has no idea. No one has any idea. So if if there is a settled game going on he's the guy who's going to unsettle it because no one's got a clue but anyway yeah. i digress um okay yeah cool interesting point all right so you think that's interesting that you think we'll go in in the same formation i don't do you think he'll, do you think know. eddie will play i think so man i think that would you okay but there's do you think he'll play and then there's what would you do so would you what well, would you play eddie if you were the manager i think that I think I would play Eddie. I think I would. Um, I think that if you're not going to play a normal nine at home to a couple of relegation battling teams, then you're basically saying that this is the formation that 
we're going to play now until Jesus gets back. Uh, Nothing wrong I, with that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, okay. If I mean, it works. I, if, if it, works it feels like it's good as a tactical. I feels like the false nine thing is quite good as a tactical kind of surprise. I, I I feel like, and maybe you know, it's still got that element. But you know, if you are Everton, and if you're so it's different because when you go Leicester away, like even though Leicester are you know a, a rubbish, they're still at home, so they probably think they've still got to do something by way of dominating possession or whatever. But if you are going to play a deep block, like if you are going to do that, then wouldn't you prefer the team to not have a proper nine? Uh, you know, you, yeah. you're probably happy to ha- let them have possession, aren't you? Probably. But then there's an argument to say that if we can, if we have possession in more dangerous areas, we're more likely to do something with it, with an extra midfielder who can like hold the ball up a bit better and just interlink with players because I think again we, we saw it right with it with Eddie it was just very easy for them to defend against um and actually it goes back to what we were discussing earlier on right if you play the the false nine or whatever you want to call it you you can bring on Eddie right if it's not working but yeah. if you've got Eddie up front it's very very difficult to say look we're chasing the game to take off your only striker and just be like, we're just going to go one nil down. We're going to take off our striker and then not have a striker for the last 15 minutes. Um, it's quite difficult to go the other way around. Um, so I think he'll, he might just say, look, I'm just going to give this another go and see how it plays out against a, a better defensive team. And then if it doesn't work out, even at half time, he'll bring Eddie on maybe take Trossard or Martinelli off and then go back to more familiar methods. Yeah, agreed. So, I mean, it's hard to 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 really look at Everton holistically across the season and draw any conclusion as to how they're going to play in this game because they've had a manager change, etc. But, you know, if we look at it on paper, we're playing two teams who are in the relegation zone. If you look at their away records, both of these teams, they're like 16th and 17th respectively. So, you know, Everton have got seven points from all their away games this season. Um, you know, Bournemouth have eight points from all their away games. I mean, that's pretty close to the amount of points that we've just got in our last two games. Do you know what I mean? It's it's quite a gulf here. Um, now, Everton being first up, they've scored six goals in in all their away games this season. So it's it's pretty poor. But equally. Um, their goals conceded isn't actually that bad. They've conceded 16 goals um, away from home this season. To put it into context, um, Man United have conceded 20. Um, Tottenham have conceded 20. Do you know what I mean? So so they do seem to be okay at defending away. Um, so if there is one of these two, because by contrast, by the way, Bournemouth have conceded 32 goals away from home this season. I mean, that is that is the worst yeah, that that is the worst. So yeah, two, bad. yeah, that is that is the worst in the league. <laughs> Nottingham Forest have twenty nine, but then like you know, it's not wow. Like yeah. Um. So you taking that into context, like we've got, um, you, you probably argue that Everton are probably going to be the team that are going to be able to kind of deep block it better. Um. But really, what are you going for in this game? What do you think Everton will be, and what do you think Bournemouth will be? Because so just for context for listeners, we probably won't be able to record um, after the Everton game, um, you know, before Bournemouth. So we are doing a double whammy of predictions. <laughs> so I reckon 
we will beat Everton 3-0. Ooh. And I think we will beat Bournemouth 4-0. Wow, so false nines in both games, yeah? Uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, we, yeah. go on. Yeah, false nines in both games. Um, and yeah, I think Eddie might come off the bench and get goals in both of them. I can see that happening. Um because he has bench vibes, like I said, oh, off the bench vibes. Um, but yeah, I think there'll be two comfortable wins. And I think, like, we've been, I was taking a look at our fixtures, right? And like you said, we've got a pretty kind run coming up. But mm. I think a lot of people have forgotten just how tricky our December, January and February was, right? We played yeah. We we played Newcastle. We played Brighton, Newcastle, Spurs, Man United, um, new manager bounced Everton, Brentford at home, Man City, um, which is about as like hard as you can possibly get. Um, mm. And actually, now we're coming into a like we're we're still a good team. <laughs> People, you know, we might have lost a bit of momentum, and we've all got a bit pessimistic recently, but. You know, now we've got a run of like Everton at home, Bournemouth at home, Fulham away, and Palace yeah. at home, then Leeds at home. We've got four home games in five against yeah. teams which you should win. Yeah. And that, like you said, we've got 14 games left, right? So they're like the four or five. And then you get to nine games left. And then it's like running time, right? That is title running. Um, yeah. So what we need to do now before, between now and. I think we play, what is it, Fulham. So those two, then Fulham, then I think Palace and Palace Leeds. And Leeds yeah. yeah. And then it's Liverpool. Um, yeah. Before that Liverpool game, I mean, again, who knows what Liverpool are going to be like, but on this form, we should be beating Liverpool as well. It's, yeah, Anfield. Hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Tricky, okay. yeah. But we've basically got to get, we've just got to stay in there, win our games. And then we've got, you know, I think a very tricky period towards the end of April, May, where you know, we'll find out what this team is about. But until then, I'm actually pretty confident that we will be there or thereabouts at least until early April. Yeah. I mean, let's think of it. Arsenal should win our next five games. We should. Yeah, so do you want to repeat who they are again? So that's... Bournemouth, sorry, Everton at home. Yeah. Bournemouth at home. Yeah. Fulham away, which yes, could be tricky, but Fulham aren't in a great place at the moment. Yeah. Palace at home and Leeds yeah. at home. Yeah. Agree. Right. So that'll be seven wins out of seven if we won all those five. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, come on. Like, I mean, if you, I mean, City, respect. I mean, do you know what? If if Arsenal win the next five games and making it seven out of seven, then do you know what? Like, however the rest of the season goes after that, However, it does. You can't really criticize Arsenal, like an Arteta or whatever. Like, if City can do it, if we win seven out of seven, and City can still beat us the title, City or whoever, even United, I don't know. Then you know, hats off, man. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that respect. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I was just, I was trying to compare what City have got. So they've then got, so they've got Newcastle. So we've got obviously a game in hand when we play. Yeah. So we we go back to evens come this next weekend. They've got Newcastle at home. They've got Palace away. They've got West Ham at home. Then they've got Liverpool at home. And then they've got Southampton away. 
So you we would expect them to probably win most of those games. They well. should win most of them. They you you're kind of hoping Liverpool yeah. turn up. Um or but again it now's probably a good time to play Newcastle, like you said. Mm. Um so yeah, it's it's gonna be tricky, but yeah, I'm just looking. Their last two games are Chelsea at home, Brentford away. So oh man, it's I'm just getting nervous talking about it, but yeah. We've just got to stay in it. Stay in it. Keep the gap. At worst, stay within two, three points. For us to like not be within two or three points between now and the end of the season, we have to kind of drop eight points. Mm. That's quite a lot. But so possible. it's possible, possible, of course. We, we, yeah, we've seen us do it plenty of yeah. times. But, you know, we've just got to stay in there and then... You never know. I think that's it, man. Stay in there. And I, I, I've said it, you know, on one of our previous podcasts, but we shouldn't. And, and you know, I mean, it's happened recently. You know, we've City have flipped above us and we flipped back. We we can't think as fans that it's going to be all over just that moment the City flip above us. It, there's a lot of twists, I reckon, in the rest of the season. And we know it's the, the biggest open secret city after the champions league man that is their priority total and utter priority right so we've got to really hope that sometimes you know when we come into those champions league weeks like i really i want city to go all the way in the champions league like damn straight man. Yeah, like yeah. i'm supporting them in the champions league like oh my god like, please yeah so, i mean they've got they've got to beat leipzig right so that yeah they've got leipzig in between palace away and west ham at home you never know like maybe palace away they uh, they take their foot off the gas and maybe good old Palace yeah. getting a little bit better, you know. Like, and who has been credited as part of that is Lokonga. He started the last two games for Palace, and there have been marked differences. I haven't, seen, I haven't fans, seen him play. Their fans are talking about him, mate. Their fans are like, so, like he's he started the last two games. They look like much much better with him in the team. They look really structured. He gets on the ball and he makes stuff happen. They're really really pleased with him, and probably should have beaten Liverpool, even though the stats suggest Liverpool had more possession. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Actually, probably you know Palace probably could have won that game, but. Um, Okay, look, interesting. Very cool. Uh very quickly, something we didn't touch on, just but just very very quickly, Europa League draw. Man United beat Barcelona, so they got through. Um the bookies have now made Man United favourites for the Europa League, by the way, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, but uh we have got Lisbon and Man United have got Betis. Um the other probably standout tie you probably say is Juventus um and Freiburg. Uh, but um, that you know, that though, yeah. So, what did you feel about Lisbon? It's like an emotional reunion with Hector Bellerin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Does he does he start for them? Do you know? I, I, don't, I know. don't know. I assume so. But they're not they're not doing that well this season. No, they're the like league. fourth or fifth. In, I think uh, I think so. Yeah, they're like fourth think? or fifth. Um, like I don't think they've got a chance of winning the title uh, or finishing first or second. I think I think Braga are like above them, which you know I think you know is. I I we, Braga, yeah, Braga and Olympiacos. So those two teams that we just play all the time, don't we? Olympiacos for sure. Like we yeah. always seem to get Olympiacos yeah. into a competition. But anyway, um, Lisbon is nice. Uh, um, but yeah, so what do you think? Good tie, yeah, happy. Yeah, it could have been worse. I think it's one of those. Well, I think firstly, it was one of those where actually you you'd rather play another group winner in the Europa League than most of those Champions League knockouts mm. um 
but look, we've just, it's a tie where I think we can rotate. Um, actually, I think regardless of opposition, we probably would have rotated. And hopefully it's one of those where the team that we put out, which I think will probably be a combination of uh, first team and close to first team players, should be able to do well. Like We'll probably see the likes of Jorginho, Smith Rowe, maybe even Kibio, um, mm-hmm. Turner, Tierney, Tomiyasu. It's not a not a bad team. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting, right? Because we go away first. So I think that I, I, I personally can see him still going with a pretty strong team um, when we go away. Uh, maybe not. Maybe I'd like to see Saka get a rest. So maybe Saka gets a rest. But I think he'll go with a pretty strong team. I think Jorginho will probably play over Partey, so there'll still be a couple of those. I don't think, like, I don't think he'll do that much with the defense. Maybe Tierney will start, but I don't think that like um Ki- Holding's gonna play or something. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't think he'll give a, a debut to um to who my Polish friends have told me it's pronounced Kiva. Kiva. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Ki- okay. Kiva. Kiva. <laughs> it was okay. uh unless um unless they're leading me down a garden path. But uh <laughs> yeah. So it will. I don't see him giving Kiva a, a, a debut on away, but I can see. I can see him getting a debut at the Emirates. Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know much about him and how good he is, but we seem to have bought him for a reason. So, yeah. It's, I mean, you're right. It's probably a bit much asking him to play. But if he's, I mean, if he's not going to play, when is he going to play this season? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So maybe we just say sod it and give him a game. Um, I think, yeah, actually, if you look at that team, it'll be a, a pretty good team. We've got Tierney, potentially Kivia, maybe holding centre-back alongside Tomiyasu. You play Jorginho, you can play Vieira. Uh, maybe Xhaka will play. Um, you can play Trossard. You can play Nick Nketiah, maybe even Nelson. That's a... Yeah. That's a handy, it's a handy eleven. It is, it is. Um, brilliant, mate. Listen, uh, we are going to be recording next after these two home games, uh, so it should be fun. Really looking forward what to it. What were your predictions? Now. I don't think. Oh, I didn't give my predictions. Probably quite similar to yours, actually. Like as much as I was scrutinising some of your thought process, I I agree with it. Actually, I I although I probably would arguably play Eddie. Um, I think that we will go with the uh, false nine. Um, I think he'll do it. I think because it, I think they seem to have some rhythm. We won a game, and I think he'll probably go and try and do the same thing and change it up if he needs to. But I think he'll start against Everton um, with that. I I would love it if we won three nil, like you suggested, or more. Um, the only reason I don't think we will is just because. Again, I think the system is probably quite new, and I think I think we still lack a little bit of I don't know if it's confidence or something in the final third that hasn't just been quite as good as it has been earlier on this season. So I think that it'll be two nil. I think uh, I don't see Everton scoring, so I think it'll be two nil. And Bournemouth, in a similar vibe to you, I think it, it, I'm not sure if I'd love to. I'd love it to be an absolute like mauling, um, but I think that. We will win three nil. Um, not um, not more than that. Uh, I, I was looking at the result. I don't know why it came up. The whole Liverpool when Liverpool beat Bournemouth nine nil at home. 
<laughs> and I was thinking, yeah, I don't know, like maybe that could because it could pull the weird like that, right? I don't know if you've seen the stats, but they like I don't know if I've got this right, but they've they've conceded very few goals at home. Really? Like, ve- okay. like, ve- ve- like very few goals at home. <laughs> like, hang on, like, let me just get this. If I, because I, I want to make sure I get this right. I think before the, and oh no, I bet I better have got this right because this is going to sound so stupid. Um, okay, Bournemouth. Yeah, man. Okay, so bear in mind that Bournemouth just conceded four goals. Yeah, like to to City, right? So Bournemouth conceded four goals at City. So. They've conceded 16 goals in total now, right? So, which means that they would have conceded 12, yeah, like prior to the game. Okay. Yeah. Is that, that's like, quite that low. Is, right? Yeah. I mean, that's good company, man. The season. Yeah. Like, City have conceded more goals at home. Really? Arsenal have conceded more goals at home. All right. Yeah. Like, City have conceded 13 goals, Arsenal conceded 14 goals. Like Tottenham, fifteen, like whatever. Uh, it, that, there are teams that have conceded less than that, right? Like, um, like uh, even United have only conceded eight goals at home, it seems. But, um, but the point is, like, they are very weird, like that. To go from actually not being so bad, you know, at home defensively to an absolute car crash away, seemingly. Um, anyway, it, it probably got, I, I don't know. They, maybe they'll have tweaked that, right? And maybe they've looked at that and gone, do you know what? When we go away from home and we play really defensive, we just get battered. Let's just do what we do when we play at home and maybe um maybe they'll they will have changed it up by now but um hey we'll see we'll see let's see very good very good listen thank you mate thank you for the chat really enjoyed it and uh everyone thank you for joining us live and thank you for listening not live um (laughs) and uh we will talk to you soon please like share and subscribe we really appreciate all your support aaron and good night And I'll see you on Wednesday night, my friend. See you Wednesday, hopefully with three points to the Arsenal. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. See you. Bye.